0: All of the dialogue with the mayor, the city commissioner, and the city roundtable has been amazing.
1: Greetings and welcome to the Unleashed Generosity podcast, exploring the intersection of faith, service, philanthropy, and community. I'm your host, Aaron Scott. Thanks for tuning in. I'm really excited to share this conversation with you. Today's guest, Taquan Hankins, is actually somebody who I've never actually met in person. Um, We have been at some community events together um, in the last uh, six weeks or so. I'm excited to bring you his story and and to get the chance to uh, feature his organization. Taquan is one of nine board members for a a recent organization that has been formed here in my community in Johnson City, Tennessee. Uh, It's an organization that is promoting civil rights, uh, particularly for the Black community, educational awareness, demonstrations, uh, doing a lot of different types of things, dialogue with community leaders uh, for the purpose of bringing about equality. And Taquan talks about his own experiences of what has drawn him to want to do that work and be involved in this this movement. Um, I actually first met Taquan. I didn't meet him, but I was at the same public event uh, just two or three nights after Uh, George Floyd's murder uh, when there was a prayer service and a community um, gathering in a park here in Johnson City, and Taquan actually spoke at that event, which is how I, I knew about him, and then um, through that connection learned about the formation of the New Generation Freedom Fighters. It's a great example of a grassroots effort bringing about a new organization being formed. And so as a podcast, um, with, with my own interest in the nonprofit sector, and my own background in studying um public administration with a nonprofit management focus, I thought it was really interesting to not only feature another black voice, he's 20 years old, he's significantly younger than me from a different generation and he comes from a different, uh, he has a different background and experiences which he'll talk about during the interview. I wanted to give him an opportunity to share some of his story and about how the new generation, Generation Freedom Fighters started as an organization. Nonprofit organizations oftentimes do start in response to some sort of social cause or some sort of issue of importance, and you see sort of a coalescing of individuals who share a common vision or a, or a common concern about that social issue or topic, and uh, and then the process of actually formally formalizing a a nonprofit organization and the fundraising and the organizing a board and getting a charter from the state of Tennessee. And I'll I'll include some links if you're not familiar with how that process works. In terms of the nonprofit sector, a very diverse landscape. You're talking about um, somewhere in the neighborhood of 1.5 uh, maybe more than 1.5 million different nonprofit organizations that are registered with the IRS in the United States alone, um, employing around 12 million people um, that are employees of these various organizations. And you're talking about large organizations that you know operate in every state in the United States, uh, like the American Cancer Society, to very, very small grassroots organizations that just work in one community on on maybe an issue that's particular and unique to their setting, or maybe like New Generation Freedom Fighters, a local organization that's focused on the issue of race and racial justice. But at this point, their focus is very local as opposed to national. So the nonprofit sector is a very unique and dynamic space with a lot of different players and a lot of different people with different backgrounds and experiences. Um, And today's conversation is a great opportunity to feature a very young organization and a little bit about how they're going about the process of organizing um, and getting their organization up and running. Taquan and I talk about a number of different issues. We talk about Taquan's upbringing and his experience in different school systems and different districts in different states. How educational experiences can be very different depending on where you live and uh, the types of schools that you attend. I, t- I talk a little bit more than I've talked in, in previous episodes about my own background and my own background in education. Uh, I think I mentioned in episode one that I used to be a middle school teacher, uh, but I'll, I'll, ta- I'll tell some stories about my time in the city of Chicago as a full-time substitute teacher Uh, which was a very formative experience for me, kind of seeing uh, how different education is in the United States, depending on where you live and the system that you're a part of and the particular school that you attend. There's great teachers, there's poor teachers, there's poor districts, there's rich districts. And uh, um, we'll we'll talk some about the challenges that education, uh, public education is facing in this country through sharing some of our own stories. A couple other things just by way of introduction, We discussed the dynamics of the COVID pandemic and the movement for racial justice taking place simultaneously and how that's really led to a unique situation of a new organization trying to organize and provide events safely uh, during this very unusual time. Um, And they're, you know, in the process of trying to do all of those things and trying to figure out how to do those things during, in a very challenging environment. And so I appreciated his reflections on, you know, the, just being honest about how as they go out and do demonstrations publicly, there's, there's just fear. There's a fear right now about counter-protests. And, and part of the conversation, we make reference to um, a heated confrontation that took place here in our community at a pawn shop. Um, and I don't, you know, make any judgments about, about that. I just reference it. But I cite that particular incident because it's representative of how tense interactions are across the country in places like Portland and Seattle that are drawing headlines, but also in places like Johnson City that people wouldn't think of. You'll hear about all those things in our conversation. With no further ado, we'll jump into the conversation with Taquan. Taquan, thank you for joining me for the Unleash Generosity podcast. You're
0: welcome, dude. I'm happy to do this. I've never done a podcast interview before. I'm excited. Well, actually, I did do a podcast interview once for my modeling agency
1: that I had joined my first semester in college. Well, we need to hear more about that then. Modeling career. I didn't know I was talking to such a famous person, so this is exciting.
0: Yeah, I wanted to be a model right after college. I wanted to move to LA and join an agency. And I joined a talent agency that was launching a big event in June. Hmm. And I was going to travel to LA, but then the coronavirus happened and I can't go anymore.
1: Well, that's kind of a bummer. And I want to get into your background here right out of the gate. But um, so where are you from originally? I am from Detroit, Michigan. I'm from the inner city, like where 8 Mile is. Yeah, Okay. And then, but now you're living in the same community where where I live here in Johnson City, Tennessee. So, tell us a little bit of background about you—just um, upbringing in Detroit, and then you know stops along the way in life, formative experiences growing up, and then how did how did you end up in Johnson City? Um,
0: I ended up in Johnson City because okay, this is a very sensitive topic. I ended up in Johnson City because I was stabbed in the back, and wow. my mom. Yeah, I was stabbed in the back at two years old. My mom wanted to give me a bright and fruitful future. And she didn't see that for me in Detroit, obviously, because her two-year-old just got stabbed. So she moved me to Johnson City. That's crazy.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. So is the rest of your family still in Detroit? How did like Johnson City, of all places, I mean, most people around the country wouldn't have even known, or known where Johnson City, Tennessee's at.
0: I think she really just chose Johnson City because it seemed so quiet and quaint and so yeah. different from what she grew up with because my mom grew up in a very rough area in West Virginia and Detroit like she used to get asked if she was crip or blood walking home from school she
1: yeah so a lot of gangs kind of issues infesting a lot of the communities that she's been a part of Mm -hmm. yeah so so you were born in Detroit you were there till you were two and then after that traumatic incident with you being stabbed she decided we need to relocate and so then the rest of your upbringing was was in Johnson City no I
0: um after elementary school we moved to North Carolina and we lived in Winston-Salem and then we moved to King North Carolina where no one knows where that is either and I, we lived there for about three years. And then okay. we came back to Johnson City. I went to West Virginia for a year.
1: And then the last two years, I went to Science Hill. Wow. So you've, yeah, you've had a lot of, quite a bit of moving around. Yeah, I've been to five different schools. Wow. What was, what was that like for you? I mean, a lot of different experiences. I mean, different, I used to be a middle school teacher. So I, I graduated from Milligan and got certified to teach. And I immediately moved to Chicago with my wife, got married, moved to Chicago. And uh, I became a middle school teacher while my wife was doing grad school. And I was actually a sub in the Chicago Public Schools. So my first year of teaching, I actually got to teach in like 30 different schools. So I'm always fascinated to hear different people's experiences in different schools because I got to like see how some schools were great and you had wonderful committed teachers and it was really healthy environment. And some were just like, if we get everybody fed and everybody gets home without a gang fight, like that's a good day.
0: Yeah, that I went to a couple of schools like that. I went to elementary school at Mountain View, and Mountain View was really chill. It was quaint, it was amazing. I met a lot of wonderful teachers that were just so dedicated to their job, so driven to nurture and just pour their energy into teaching. Yeah, Johnson City is great for that. It was amazing for that. When we moved to North Carolina the first time in Winston-Salem, the other school, that was pretty crazy. um, I witnessed a fight between two girls and the teacher and the student teacher ended up trying to break it up. And then the two girls started fighting the teacher and the student teacher. And crazy. Yeah, like at that school, there was fights every day. You had to sign an agreement to be in certain classes saying that if you tried to fight the teacher then the teacher could fight back
1: weird i never had to sign one of those as a teacher i mean there were days where i was teaching in you know chicago public schools as a sub which is even more like challenging right because like you have no relationship with any of these kids you're just like you literally show up and you're meeting them for the first time Mm -hmm. And I remember one like middle school that I went to where like when I arrived and I immediately like had to go through a metal detector, I was like, okay, like this is, you know, it just kind of set the tone for the day. Like clearly this is the type of school where they just deal with a lot of violence and tension and uh, felt like everything was super on edge and like yeah. you know, the, the teachers seemed like they were super stressed out. I've seen teachers like that. Just, yeah, it wasn't a super healthy environment. Yeah. I just, I got the sense that just kind of surviving was the goal, you know, and then less than a mile from there, I subbed at a very, you know, a different school in in a different neighborhood, and it was a great experience, you know, so it's just, it's really interesting, different neighborhoods, different communities, based on a number of different factors, which, you know, we could spend our whole lives talking about, uh, deal with challenging issues and uh, challenging situations in their communities that lead to Uh, poverty and lack of access to good education and these kind of issues kind of compound on each other and, you know, just just lead to these failing schools. It's really challenging to kind of figure out uh, how to kind of turn some of those things around. So you've had some, yeah, some challenging experiences in in your life. How how old are you now? I'm 20 years old. Okay. And you mentioned college. Um, So your mom lives here in Johnson City now. And did you go to college here in Johnson City as well? Yeah,
0: I did. Um, well, I am still going to college.
1: I go to college oh, okay. at Northeast. Northeast State Community College. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. And what do you what do you study in there?
0: um my psychology degree i want a clinical psychology doctorate and i eventually want to own my own practice
1: okay I'm also interested in modeling tell me tell me a little bit more about
0: that well the original plan was to start modeling right out of college and then pay for online classes so while i'm traveling i can still work towards my doctorates. Yeah. and once i make enough money i was just going to chill out in a dorm my last couple of years while I'm writing my big paper for my doctorates
1: and you know just chill but COVID um, kind of threw a wrench in your plan exactly um well I hope that you do get the opportunity to pursue the modeling yeah I'm really I hope that I
0: get to scouts are always looking at my profile I just got an email for an opportunity and I, I couldn't take it because you know I'm here and I'm doing local stuff and I don't I can't even afford to go out and fly somewhere for the interview. The flights and the hotel both come out of your paycheck. There's a lot of fees that go into modeling.
1: How did you first get interested in the idea of modeling? Like, do you do photography? Did you take like shots of yourself? I
0: just wanted to make money, to be honest with you. A couple of my friends said that I would be perfect for modeling. Yeah, I've done three photo shoots. My first one was for the vintage clothing store downtown. And from there, I
1: went on to find my agency, like many other things, it's unfortunate that a lot of that seems to be kind of on hold right now. But yeah, I hope you're you're able to pursue that soon. The way that I first got connected to you is through this this organization that you've been, I think, a part of, help getting started recently, mm-hmm. um, which is called the New Generation Freedom Fighters. Tell us a little bit about New Generation Freedom Fighters, what that organization is, and then like what's your role with them.
0: The New Generation Freedom Fighters is a nonprofit organization that aims to empower small businesses, small black, minority-owned businesses and local in the local community. We want to do so in a very peaceful and civil, respectful manner. We aim to make legitimate change, create legitimate policies to make sure that everyone in power is held accountable for their actions and that we don't face any injustice in this area. The real, real, like solid goal is to make Johnson City an example for the rest of the state. Yeah,
1: we're going to move out and branch off into the U.S. At least that's my hope. So for right now, it's it's basically a Johnson City-centric organization. Your focus is pretty local at this point?
0: Yeah, I wouldn't say that we're completely local because we just got
1: a message from Sullivan County Volunteer Fire Department about teaming up with them. Did they reach out to you all like they became aware that your organization had been formed and they kind of wanted to reach out to you to kind of begin dialogue about uh, just be more aware about the way they go about their work and how they can uh, be more conscious and wanted yeah. to kind of get your all's input on ways that things they should be thinking about? Yeah, exactly it. Yeah, that's cool that, I mean, you guys, because you're a really young organization, right? I mean, you really, how long have you been in existence? About a month. We put in a lot of work for this to be done in about three weeks.
0: You know, like we've already done meetings with local public figures, like the commissioner, Mayor Brock. And we have a medical team. We have a security team working around that and explaining things and making sure that they understand the proper parameters and understand that they have to go through the proper channels is just it's it's kind of a lot
1: yeah i mean so basically this is a kind of a grassroots organization that kind of came together after the the george floyd killing right that's exactly how it came about um i i went to the protest and
0: just participated and Mm -hmm. talked to the person that was planning it, Sierra Gilmer. We basically worked together to get this off of the ground. Like she created a media team to create a website and Mm -hmm. we have a website now. And I met Caitlin through the protesting because I was holding up a megaphone and she just wanted to make sure everyone was safe. And she wiped it off with hand sanitizer and, you know, like, yeah, it was, yeah, we really just came together. We still created something beautiful.
1: Yeah, so so you mentioned like you used the term nonprofit, and then you said that this organization's like really quite young. So are you guys in the process of becoming a like a five hundred one c three nonprofit? We're going to be verified as a nonprofit organization. Because I know that you guys established a board already, like identified board members. You had like an election through your Facebook page in a very democratic sort of way. What is this like community? What is the new Generation's freedom fighter community like? Look like.
0: The New Generation Freedom Fighter community is a very diverse community. It's crazy. It's heartwarming. It's just, it's beautiful. I was watching someone talk about confronting racist parents and um, racist family members and how they want to push it out of their cultural norm, even though that they're white. You know, it's just, it's beautiful that they want to speak up, that they want to make a difference, that they want to take action, even though they're not being directly affected by injustice. It's a community of warm-hearted people working towards a feasible goal.
1: You guys basically met like-minded people who were also passionate about equal opportunity for people of color, basically just kind of came together through events, marches, protests, And then had this idea like, well, we need to form something more organized and basically Mm -hmm. form this organization.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because we were getting opportunities the second week to get together with other organizations. That's when the board voting happened. That's when we decided, hey, we don't need to just say stuff. We need to do them to protect our future generations.
1: So you have a board of, is it like nine, nine board members? It is nine board members. How often do you all meet? And what does that organizational process look like? Because like you said, like, it's kind of crazy when something emerges kind of out of nowhere, you kind of feel like, in some ways, I'm sure like you're not controlling it. That's just kind of how the spirit's moving, right? And you have so many different people with so many different points of view, like, How do you get everyone on the same page and decide what to do? We all have the same goal, the
0: same vision in mind. We're just going at it in different ways and in different areas. For example, we have two people of the board that do educational hours. We -hmm. have someone that goes and speaks to people and we have someone that connects to other organizations it's, it's really beautiful. Like someone went to a college to speak today. It's okay to go after things
1: in different ways. Educational events. You guys have done some free educational talks in Founders Park, talking about history of race relations in this country, like helping people mm-hmm. understand some of the background and context. You guys have also helped organize some marches um, yeah. to kind of have a public witness and to provide a space for people who are uh, frustrated and angry. But you mentioned early peaceful. Your goal is to have peaceful demonstrations of how people are feeling about certain issues. Um, you mentioned conversation with the mayor. Tell us a little bit more about that third one. I mean, what have some of those conversations focused on?
0: All of the dialogue with the mayor, the city commissioner, and the city roundtable has been amazing. We, our last meeting with the city commissioner and the mayor, we were educated on how the city budget works. We were educated on what funds that could possibly be reallocated to the betterment of the socioeconomic status of the area. I've already taken charge to look at other cities' policies and how they've injected a can't wait policies into their stuff and just tried to figure out how we can do the same.
1: Yeah. So, so for people who aren't familiar with that, tell us what eight can't wait is and how that's maybe a good tool that other people might look at as a model for dialoguing with their city officials. A mm, can't wait
0: is a, it's like eight different policies for the police to follow, to hold them accountable for all of their actions. It lists, um, no chokeholds comprehensive reporting injected into police policy yeah
1: so if there if there's an officer incident with a community member you're trying to push for tools to be the standard uh, expectation to make sure that 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 interaction is documented in as yeah yeah an unbiased way as possible yeah. so that we know the truth about interactions
0: yeah so for example if in the eight can't wait policy, there is required body cams. And so if we require body cams with comprehensive reporting and the officer doesn't keep certain, doesn't report certain instances or certain events, we can then look back at the footage and say, hey, this didn't happen. We can put them through a process to make sure that that never happens again.
1: And there's, I mean, obviously nationwide, there's a lot of Protests and dialogue going on about, like criminal justice reform generally, um, but then specifically about policing and reforms that may be needed. And, you know, to talk about it in this very broad way um, Mm -hmm. is challenging because maybe the issues facing one community are very different than the issues facing another community. Maybe the police force in town A have been using body cameras for years and another one doesn't have body cameras at all or only some of their officers. So, you know, knowing the starting point and knowing the dialogue does become very much a local issue. You're talking about what what seems to be being received well by our local officials about very easy, like one or two steps from what's being done now to just make the process more transparent and to build more trust between the community and the police?
0: Yeah, so we're not trying to defund the police. We're trying to reallocate their money. Basically, we're trying to put funds where funds are needed. So what we are envisioning for the new future is racial bias training, education on systems that practice racial oppression currently, screening tools. Screening tools meaning um, ways to evaluate someone's mental and emotional status connect with local affiliates for mental health care, and create a clear access
1: for help. You guys have certain things that you feel like would be an appropriate standard for first responders and law enforcement seems like that there's some real productive dialogue about saying, well, let's actually assess where where we are. And that may be different for the Johnson City Police Department versus the Washington County Sheriff's Office versus Sullivan County versus, you know, EMTs and first responders are a completely separate agency. So it does get complicated, you know, how you actually try to move the needle towards creating a community that is safer for everybody recognition that police officers and first responders are people too. Yeah. Yeah. They're very generous, selfless people. And that these are people that are putting themselves at risk every day when they go to work and uh, trying to demean them or say that they're bad or evil or wrong, but it's really looking at the system itself and saying, are there ways in which the system that we've built don't serve us all as best they could? Are there ways that we can redirect funds from doing something that maybe isn't the most efficient use of those funds to something else that would be more effective? Yes. Or are there systemic sort of things in our systems that, that do continue to perpetuate racism or favor certain groups over others? How do we name those and then try to move towards dismantling those things so that we do provide better opportunity for people? That's kind of the thrust of what you guys are just trying to do.
0: Yes, exactly. We want representation and
1: we want equality in every sense of the word. And thank you for you know opening up and sharing about your own you know personal experience of you know experiencing a violent attack on you at a at a young age. How are you feeling right now about just this moment, the climate in the United States as it relates to just race relations in our country? It is honestly
0: terrifying. I don't even know what to say about it like I don't even I don't want to send people out to do marches anymore I would rather them stay inside and write petitions and well, not write <laughs> petitions but sign petitions and you know be activists where it really matters you know vote educate yourself the best way for us to protect ourselves in this moment is get the KKK identified as a terrorist organization I just really don't want to see anybody hurt you know and to see people mobilizing against a against the civil rights movement is just it, it it's hurtful because you know just to see someone so against their happiness so against their freedom so against their will to live in the most free way possible is just
1: it's sad and i don't want to put words in your mouth but i, I- I hear you saying like you're conflicted because it's such a powerful moment in our country where Mm -hmm. there is maybe like a a new or a reawakening to the, the reality that like things are not right. (laughs) Like we have problems that, that are deeply seated in our culture that need to be addressed. And at the same time, there's this very appropriate fear of of what it means to be going out and trying to bring about change through things like protests and marches. It's not that I'm conflicted. It's more just so I'm fearful for
0: other people's lives because we have a medical team, we have a security team. If something happens to any of those people, and that's the real fear, like that's my realest fear right now is having to talk to someone's parents and say, hey, I'm so sorry that this happened, but your son, daughter, was fighting a good cause
1: and they lived their life with a purpose. We're in the midst of a pandemic and there's obviously a lot of debate about what's the most appropriate way of just to act in public in general about distancing and mask wearing and stuff like that. And so the idea of trying to give people the opportunity to come together and express their First Amendment right to, to voice their concerns, I mean, that is our constitutional right and at the same time that somehow has to be balanced with encouraging people to take personal responsibility for protecting mm-hmm. themselves and others and you know multiple you know things that are that are considerations about how many people are going to show up i mean do what permits do we need how do we keep everyone that comes out safe in terms of maybe potentially uh, combative confrontations with counter-protesters and to things like, how do we make sure that everyone has access to a mask? You know, it's just yeah. a lot of issues going on in this just crazy time that we're living Yeah, in.
0: Like our medical team has masks on hand and first aid kits. Our petition tables have masks and hand sanitizers, snacks, water anything that anyone might need, but at the same time, it's just like, like, I just, I don't want to put anybody at risk.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I commend you guys for being bold and, and really, you know, moving forward with taking action in very practical ways, like you've, you've talked about, and I'm, I'm sure we're not even touching on all the different ways, but, you know, just trying to be proactive in a respectful way with dialogue with community leaders like the mayor, like the chief of police, you know, that this isn't just about being angry or shouting or blaming people or, you know, you're really trying to focus on practical things that can make a practical difference for people here in our community. And yet, you know, a lot of people are angry and frustrated and tired, really, really tired of waiting for change. And, and they see this opportunity as a moment to really capitalize on the awareness that racial justice is receiving in, in our country and say, like, no, we need to not just kind of settle for dialogue. We need to push for change, really trying to balance legitimate viewpoints of different constituencies that may be part of your group that may not quite see eye to eye on exactly what we should be doing, but you're kind of trying to create space so that everyone feels that they are welcome. I want to have a conversation with groups that are trying
0: to work against us and see what their motives are. I want to see if they can really understand what we're going through as not only Black Americans, but Americans in a system Living in a system that constantly oppresses them and constantly makes them out to be the victim, you know, like because a lot of people see it as um, black people choose to be this way. They choose to be that way. But I did not choose to get stabbed in the back at two years old. I did not choose to get born in Detroit, Michigan, one of the roughest cities in the United States. I just, to get them to understand, to get that intellectual dialogue to happen, it just seems like we're going to have to move through a whole bunch of tunnels, move through a whole bunch of gateways to get them even open to having that dialogue, because people are so stuck in their ways. They just feel like that they're right, and you know, in American history, they have tried to make racism logical by, by using the Bible, by using science. For example, Charles Darwin, he was a racist. He believed that white people evolved and they are better than black people.
1: I mean, particularly for me as a Christian, like I need to own the ways in which Christianity has perpetuated and had, had made normative the idea of white people enslaving black people. Um, and that our churches in this country said that that was okay. <laughs> so yeah. I, I have to look in the mirror and kind of own that that's part of my own religious traditions history. I can't just pretend that I'm that it doesn't exist, that, that 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 history doesn't exist. And so and what can I learn from that? And maybe what remnants of some of that thinking or those policies still exist? A part of it is it is it, it's really hard work, right? I mean, it's really hard work to acknowledge that our world is broken and there's parts about it that are unjust and unequal and it's downright overwhelming to think about mm-hmm. how to undo some of that, especially when some of that includes looking in the mirror and acknowledging that maybe, you know, I have to own some of that. Yeah. That I'm a part of the system, the way I spend my money, the things that I do with my time, there are systems in place that still favor people that look like me, as opposed to people that look like you. And that's just a fact that women get paid less than men for the same jobs. African Americans and blacks get paid less for the same jobs than white males. Like those are just facts. So if 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 we live in this system and are part of this system, there are ways in which we are perpetuating those things. You know, so how do we name that in a way that we can kind of like have, like you said, a dialogue about uncovering what those things are and how we can make some practical steps to make opportunities more equal. A month ago, I think, you know, you and I and a thousand other people were at the same, you know, prayer vigil or event in Founders Park in Johnson City. And at that point, it seemed like, you know, yay, great. Everyone's excited about like, let's have dialogue about how things are going. And I mean, in in recent weeks, there's been it's not been kumbaya, right? (laughs) It's some of these public protests that have been organized. There have been counter protests in which some downright racist things have been said. Um, And there's been, you know, obviously the well-documented, well-publicized interaction at the pawn shop between some African-Americans and the owners of that business. And, that whole process is now being litigated about yeah. who should be held legally responsible for their actions you know that so that
0: whole incident was just not handled properly i believe i think that people in this movement working towards this movement should do so in a peaceful manner Because that's literally how Dr. Martin Luther King, Gandhi, has led a revolution, has done it. They have done so in a non-confrontational way so that their ideas are presented in a more legitimate and comprehensive way. Yeah,
1: in terms of the civil rights movement, because you have King expressing a non-violent, civil disobedience sort of model about, and then you have you know, whole other groups that had other ideas, whether that be Malcolm X or others, you know. So, and and I think we see some of that emerging again, where you have different people who have different ideas about the best way to try to bring about change. It's messy, right? Life is hard. We don't always see eye to eye on things, and we don't always see eye to eye on, even if we agree what the end goal is about the best way to get there. Are, are there other organizations that you all like are affiliated with? I know the blue, the new uh, Black Panther group has also been organizing different marches and protests and it, uh, I do know that we agree with some of their objectives. Um, but so far
0: as how they carry out those objectives, we may have some disagreements. So I can't directly say, Anything about our
1: affiliation. Well so they are distinct groups, I think is important for you to be able to clarify it's not your job to, to speak on behalf of their organization. So mm-hmm.
0: yeah. Thank you for that.
1: Yeah, no, and, and I and, and nor do you speak for all black people. Each of us are individuals and we don't speak for anyone other than ourselves. Um mm-hmm. And at the same time, you are one of the nine board members. So you do have some level of authority to kind of talk a little bit about, you know, the new generation Freedom Fighters. And I think you've done a good job sort of articulating uh, your guys' vision and what you're trying to accomplish. And again, I I think, I mean, me personally, again, just speaking for myself, as a Christian and a a Christian who is committed to nonviolence myself, I, I very much resonate with what you're saying. I do believe the way to go about bringing about change is not through violence and force, but it is through- um, Dialogue. Yeah, through peace and dialogue and through finding common ground. Even with those who may disagree with vehemently, um, that doesn't mean that we um, can't continue to have dialogue and try to find common ground. From what I've seen of your organization, you guys have very much tried to embody that in terms of everyone's welcome to these events We want them to be educational. This is about helping us all learn. None of us are perfect. We all have ways that we can grow and improve and learn. Um, And so come alongside us. I'm sure we have things we can learn from you. And maybe you have some things you can learn from us. Yes, exactly. Exactly.
0: Because the real issue here is understanding and knowledge
1: of a person's personal reality versus the reality of the collective. Well, how do, how do people find your organization if they're interested in learning more about New Generation Freedom Fighters? The Facebook
0: is just simply New Generation Freedom Fighters. Um, our website is, there's a link to it on the Facebook page. Um, our Instagram
1: is currently being recreated. Again, thank you for sharing your story about some of your background and experiences and uh, how you kind of came about being a part of this organization. Thank you, dude, thank you you so much.
0: I appreciate it and I'm so thankful that you
1: gave me this platform to speak about this appreciate Taquan's time that he spent with me and thoughtfulness in which he is going about his work. As you can see, he's a young person, his own dreams and his own life goals for the future, uh, whether that's getting into a psychology career or modeling. And in a lot of ways, his story is one that I think many of us can resonate with in that, The the hopes and dreams of how we thought the year 2020 was going to go, a lot of that has been put on hold. So I think it's powerful, though, to see a young person who's not, um, you know, just kind of sitting on the sidelines and just waiting for all the COVID pandemic to pass so that he can get back to what plan A was. But he's very much being open to trying to make the world a better place. Uh, We will link to uh, their website, the New Generation Freedom Fighters website, as well as their Instagram Um, and their Facebook is a private Facebook group, but uh, I'll link to that as well. And if you would like to try to join that, along with about the 2,500 other folks who are part of that private Facebook group, um, you can uh, ask them to join the group. You can find a variety of links, including the link to Northeast State Community College, where Taquan is a student, Uh, links to Uh, some links on how to start a nonprofit organization, as well as a link to Eight Can't Wait, which uh, Taquan mentioned as a resource for Ways in which police reform is is being discussed. Uh, but again, thanks for listening in to the Unleashed Generosity podcast. Um, please do uh, go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the podcast. If this is a these are conversations that you find to be interesting and helpful, that's a really helpful tool for us to give the podcast more visibility. And so as people search for podcasts that are focused on community development, on the nonprofit sector, on faith and spirituality and religion, and how those Uh, values influence people's work. Uh, I hope that um, some more ratings and reviews might help some people find the podcast. So if you're enjoying what you're hearing, please take some time to go do that. Remember that you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, and on our website, which is www.unleashgenerosity.org. I do hope that you will also check out the music of Daniel Cooper, That's Cooper with a U, -U C-O-U-P-E-R. Daniel Cooper is a great musician and the lyrics of his songs, very passionate about justice and about equality and about making the world a more beautiful place. So please take some time to check out his music. Until next time, unleash your own generosity.